have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon and our cry is Hosanna. We are saying, save us. Father, we are people in need of your presence in this life. And God, we are in a people in need of contentment and peace with you. So as we go forward tonight and, uh, and hear a message from your holy scriptures, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this place and that you would move in our hearts the way only you can. I pray that our hearts would truly cry, Hosanna, that we would not be looking inwardly to save ourselves, but that we would look upwardly and trust in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. I am Pastor Daniel, and it's a privilege for me at this point to be able to share a message with you from God's holy scriptures, the Bible. We've been going verse by verse through this letter of Philippians. Philippians is a a letter written by a real person to real people who had real circumstances in their life. It's not poetry that it's just something nice that he thought of and sounded flowery, but it's powerful. It's a real message for them then. And when we work through some cultural differences and the time gap of about 2,000 years, we see that what was true then is just as true and powerful today. We've been taking powerful truths from this letter over the last few weeks, and I want to give a quick review on what we've learned so far. Are you ready? I won't speak quickly, so I'm not getting you geared up to listen fast or anything, but I want to go through some things with you. Philippians is a letter written to people who are facing persecution, and Paul was encouraging them to hold fast and to have resolve and to hold fast to what God has taught them through this gospel of Jesus Christ. We learned in the very beginning that God always finishes what he starts, and that's the sermon series title for us. That's something we've been hitting on every week. God always finishes what he starts, and we get that from Philippians 1.6, where Paul said to these people, he said, I am thoroughly convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will thoroughly complete it by the day of King Jesus. And so he said, whatever God has started in you, I see that, and trust me, God is going to finish what he started. We saw as he progressed through the letter that he encouraged them to hold fast to their confession, not to give up when times get tough. We saw that like Jesus did, he abandoned his rights in Philippians chapter 2. He gave himself up. He humbled himself. He gave himself up for the sake of others. And we see that we as Christians can do the very same thing because of what he has done. We see that God uses people to continue what he started. So it's not a cop-out to say, you know, God always finishes what he starts, so we don't really have to do anything. That's not what he said. God uses people to finish and to continue what he started. We've seen that Christ is the only means by which we can become saved. It's nothing that we can bring to God to earn our way into his favor, his good graces, but it's only by grace and faith in Christ that we can be saved. And then we saw one of my favorites. Christ is the treasure of all treasures. That he really is to be treasured above anything we can ever have. We saw two weeks ago that we're to focus on the finish line. 
It's easy to get distracted with the here and now and not to be focused on the finish line. And we saw that that finish line is the, the resurrection, the resurrection life that is promised to all those who believe. And, and we, see how, we saw how to live as citizens of heaven here and now. And it's not a, a license, again, to sit back and say, you know, our home's not here, our home's in heaven, we're going to wait to go there one day. That's not what God calls us to do. Just like they in Philippi were citizens of Rome, they never hoped to go live in Rome. But our hope is just like theirs. Our hope is that God's going to bring heaven to earth. And as citizens of heaven, we live to see his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we saw last week, which was another favorite of mine, that we were to celebrate the Lord together. There were two leaders in the church who were arguing, Eudia and Syntyche. And Paul encouraged them publicly, guys, you got to drop this. You can't do this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so he's saying when you celebrate the Lord together, you put aside all these divisive issues and we focus on the main thing. And that main thing is a Savior named Jesus. And when we celebrate him together, we have unity and we have power to see God do great things through his people. Is that exciting or what? So with all that in mind... We get to where we are today. We're at the end of this letter. Paul has given us one of the greatest literature pieces of all history in this letter. And we're here toward the end of it. We have this week and we have next week as we conclude. And we will finish what we started. No? Okay. A few of you liked it. Today we're going to see something that is relevant no matter when you live. How do we live with contentment? Especially when we know the iPhone 6 is coming out in a few months. You know you want to get that. Or at least upgrade to the one that's going to become cheaper. You know, there's always something that we're striving for. And Paul reveals to us the secret of contentment. And I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to go through a, a short section of Scripture today. 10 through 13. So with all that in mind, what I said to you, this is where we're ending up toward the end of the letter. And Paul writes this in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I now know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. I know how to have a, a plenty. In every, in every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. Verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul says the secret is this. I have the strength for everything in the one who gives me that power. Now before we go into the depth of what he's saying here, I want us to not overlook verse number 10 because it's easy to skip past it to dive into the one that we're more familiar with. But look with me again in verse 10 of chapter 4. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
So what he's saying to them here, we can keep that up on the screen if you would. He said, I, I have been having this great celebration in the Lord. I've been rejoicing. We learned last week, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice was not an inward joy only. It's not something that we sit around and just keep to ourselves, but it's a celebration corporately. It includes that as well. Festivals, if you will. A time to celebrate the Lord together. So as I've been having this great celebration in the Lord, now he's in prison, so he's not necessarily with a lot of people, but he's celebrating because your concern for me has once again come to life to me. I've become aware of this. You were concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to show me. Now I'm so blessed, church, and I'm celebrating that your love for me still remains. It means so much to me. This was an especially long winter in New York. Can I get an amen? Long winter, record snowfall, cold, cold winters. It was so cold that in the backyard of our house, we, our fig tree died. It literally split in the trunk of the tree, split in several places and died. I had to cut it down. And it started to warm up a little bit in April and uh, other things besides the fig tree started to bud and to blossom. There were flowers that popped up just in time for Easter. But in my front yard, there's the centerpiece of our yard. There's grass that we planted, and there's one tree, a weeping mulberry tree, quite unique. It brings a lot of flavor to our house. Everything else is blooming except this tree. And I started to wonder, is it dead too? And then I remembered in the summer last year, we pruned it in order to make it become healthy and to, to thrive. And I started to question, oh no, I wonder if I pruned it the wrong way, if I did something I shouldn't have done, and I've killed this tree. It's going to be hard to get rid of, and I really, really like this tree. Day after day, I kept looking for signs and no signs of life coming from the tree, except the squirrels that would play in it. And they would knock the dead limbs lifelessly down to the ground. It appeared our hope was gone. Our tree appeared to be dead. But then one day, I saw it. There was a little bud and another one and another one. I said, oh, I think the tree is coming back to life. And within a few short days, leaves were bursting into those limbs. And now today, the tree is just blossoming with life. Full. In just a few months or a few weeks, it's going to need pruned again. And I realized what I did for that tree actually did help it. It didn't harm it. But for quite a while, I was fearful that what I had done harmed it. And in the same way, Paul is having a similar experience where he has started this church in Philippi, long before, or not long before this letter was written, and because of the message, the good news that he had shared with them, these people who were going along life a certain way now are embracing the gospel. Now they're starting to face a winter of themselves. They're starting to face persecution in a season where things are not blossoming. And so their pure joy of knowing Christ Jesus is bringing on persecutions. It's bringing challenges to their lives. And that's not necessarily what we sign up for when we cry out, Hosanna, God save us. And remember, Paul is in prison for preaching his gospel. And Paul is most likely wondering, I wonder if they hate me now for getting them into such a mess. And he was wondering if they were going to see his pruning or his sharing of the gospel with them as causing harm to them instead of helping them. Epaphroditus is the one who brought the gift from the church at Philippi to 
Paul. And he brought good news from the church as well. And when he brought the good report and this substantial gift from the church, Paul rejoiced. And he celebrated because he was excited that these buds were blossoming. Instead of wondering if they were worried and and mad at him for harming and hurting their lives, he now sees that, yes, the gospel is working as it should work. There's life in them. They're rejoicing through their sufferings, and God is going to finish what he starts in them. He saw that these groups of Christians and this group in, uh, in Philippi were clinging tightly. They were holding fast to their confession of Jesus. And he saw that they far from hate Paul, but they deeply love him so deeply that they sacrificially give a substantial gift and risk, or Epaphroditus risk his own life to deliver it to him. And this message was like the relief of spring to Paul after a long winter. (gasps) They do love me, and they're thriving in the Lord. And he was quick to point out too, I know this was your first opportunity to respond. I know that you still love me. This is your first opportunity to show that you cared. You know, they didn't have email or text messaging back then because, you know, they weren't as smart as we are. Not really. They didn't have that technology back then, so it took a long time for word to travel to Paul. This was the first chance that they had to reach out to him. We see here that our words and our actions have an opportunity to breathe hope into the lives of people around us. The church at Philippi did just that for Paul. They breathed the fresh wind of spring and life into him. And so it caused me to wonder, who can, who can you give a gift to that's been an encouragement to you? Who can you tell, you know, I am so grateful for you I'm so grateful for the love that you've shown me and the message of hope and joy that you've given to me. Who can you encourage by reminding them, friend, brother, sister, wife, husband, I am here for you no matter what circumstances this life may bring. Who can we encourage the way Philippi encouraged Paul? Our words and actions can either bring healing and life or they can bring destruction and death. So my hope is that we would use our words and actions like Christ did and use them for life and healing. Now that we've established that, let's move on to the secret of contentment because I know you're on the edge of your seat with anticipation. How can you have the secret of contentment in life? Look with me again in verse 11 through 13. Paul writes, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, that includes any and every circumstance, okay? That's in the Greek. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the secret is this. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul was sitting isolated in a prison, and he was there a long time. He hadn't heard from the church at Philippi, and and he was not speaking as someone who was lacking anything, except the only thing that he was truly lacking 
was the fact that he couldn't be with those whom he wanted to be with. He yearned to be with them. Paul had learned that no matter what circumstances he found himself in, I can be content. I can have peace. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not complacency. Being satisfied in Jesus doesn't mean that we hit cruise control and we coast through life. Paul reminded us to focus on the finish line and to, to look at the resurrection life. And this focus that we do will fuel us to where we'll actually be able to risk this life so that others can hear and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that it's not foolish to do that because we have the promise of the resurrection. So being content means that we have all that we ever need in Jesus alone. It means that no matter what happens to us, we have all that we need. And honestly, it should be all that we desire when we have Jesus alone. We see him as the treasure of treasures. And then we have this satisfaction to endure whatever circumstances God leads us through. Some of us seem to have a more favorable life. Some Christians seem to suffer more. And we don't know exactly what the reasons are behind that, but we know that God uses all of those things for His glory. And no matter if we're having a life of favor and abundance or whether we're having a life of few or little and persecution, we know that we can have contentment because Paul knew how to have little. He had little. But he also knew to have a lot, how to have a lot because he had a lot. He went through seasons in life and Christ was the reason that his times of lacking didn't lead him to desperation. And Christ was also the reason why his time of abundance didn't ruin him and cause him to mock God because I don't really need God anymore. I have all that I need without him. The secret of contentment leads us to find peace and strength with God. In verse 13, it says this, the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There are many philosophers in the past who have had similar messages of contentment. I want to read three of them to you. Lucretius said, the greatest wealth is the love content with little. The greatest wealth is the love content with little. For there is never want where the mind is satisfied. It's cool, right? When he was asked who the wealthiest person was, Socrates said, the one who is content with the least is the wealthiest person. Sir James McIntosh said, it is right to be contented with what we have, but never with what we are. Paul's insight is similar in one way, but it's very different in another. Paul's insight isn't from having contentment from within oneself. It's not from within himself. And it isn't finding power from his own self-sufficiency. It's not like a worldly contentment where be all that you can be or find the power within you. That's worldly contentment. Paul is saying this, that the contentment God offers is the power of God working within us. And it's about being 100% dependent on God. Not self, but being 100% dependent on the power working in us and that being God's power. He's saying that no matter what comes his way, he can endure it because the power of God will enable him to endure it. 
He will endure things by the strength of God working through him, not by his inward strength. This verse is, is misused oftentimes today. You may have seen athletes painting it on their um, eyeshadow. It's not eyeshadow. It's the thing under their eye to keep the sun down. You see it on there, on the sleeves or on a, a badge. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we, and we see this. But that's a misuse of what God is saying here. God's not saying you can go out and win this game because you can do all things through Christ and anything's possible. That's true. Anything is possible. And if God wants you to win the game, you're going to win the game. But the power of this verse is very different. The power of this verse is that Paul is specifically talking about enduring hardships. So maybe if you put it on your eye or on your boxing glove, maybe... You should hope to lose so that people can see you endure with the love and the power of God. That would be more accurate. God, help me to go out and just be beaten to a bloody pulp for your glory. Anybody with me? The next time you see this verse used, you can pray that that truth of that verse will be evident within our Christian brother or sister who's wearing it, and within ourselves, that we would endure losses, that we would endure hardships, that we would go through times of lacking and suffering because we have the secret of contentment. We know the power of Jesus living within us, and we know that He will work within us to endure whatever circumstance we go through. This past week, I walked into Children's Hospital Long Island Jewish Hospital, and I took Lily to a doctor's appointment. As we went, entered, I looked over and there was a mom who was weeping uncontrollably. A nurse reached out and hugged her and held her. She weeped with her. This mother was grieving. She was hurting. In this moment, she was weak and vulnerable. I think I would be accurate to say that at that moment, she felt like she was lacking everything. She didn't have the strength within herself to endure the suffering, so she leaned on her friend, the nurse. She found comfort, she found strength, she found love from outside in the compassionate arms of her new friend. In the same way, the storms of life are coming to us, whether we want them to or not, at some point. You will have difficult seasons and you will eventually find yourself overwhelmed with everything that life is throwing at you. And it's in these moments that we need this secret of contentment. It is in these moments when we need to know the power of God. And we need to claim the promise that God is with us. In our moments when we feel like this mother who was overwhelmed by her child's suffering, we need to know the power of God in our lives right then and there. We need to feel the embrace of God like this woman felt the embrace of the nurse. We need to feel the strength of God not just helping us, but the strength of God actually holding us up by His power. 
we need the assurance that God has not forsaken us, but that He is with us in this moment. We need help from outside. Specifically, we need the power and the presence of God. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God tells us this. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never, say never, never. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Fellow Christians, there's no shortcut to going through the hardships in life. We will go through them. Life is tough. Sickness and death are a reality we will all face. But this is the secret to endure. The God that Paul knew in Jesus, the Messiah, enabled him to face everything with strength that came from outside of himself. That promise is for anyone and everyone who is prepared to call on God as their Savior. This is the secret of contentment. Realizing there is the power of God available to work through you. Just like the church at Philippi and like this nurse at the hospital, God uses us to bring His love, His comfort, and His strength to each other. The strength of God working in our lives is the secret of contentment. As the people of God, how about we do our part? How about we do our part to point people to Jesus with our compassionate embrace, with our strength that God has given us, with our comfort God has given us, with the words of life and hope that we have been given through God? And check this out. While sickness and death will certainly come, it's a reality we all face. Death has been defeated. And there is a reality of the resurrection that is coming for all those who believe. So, we can live this life with that reality. We can endure knowing that God is with us. And that no matter what happens, God always finishes what He starts. I don't know what type of circumstances you're going through in your life. I hope that some of you are having high moments in your life, celebrating the good works of God. But I also know that sometimes we go through these low parts in our life. And it's hard. It really is. It's hard to set those aside and celebrate the goodness of God. But I want to say to you boldly, God has not forsaken you. God has not left you. God's power is, will, is ready and God is waiting to invade your life with His power, with His grace, and with His goodness. The secret of contentment is knowing the power of God living within you. And I pray that that is a secret you'll embrace and that you'll share with everyone else in your life. It's a secret that's safe to share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for the power that You give us to overcome the heartbreak, the trials, the persecutions that this life brings to us. Father, I also want to praise You that through Your secret of contentment, through knowing Christ in this powerful way, 
We can live a life where the favor and the riches of this world will not ruin us either. But they can be used for your glory. In both instances, God, it is up to us as people to cry out to you and to trust you. And so I pray that that would be our heart's response today, that we would stop trying to live by our own strength, that we would give up, that we would realize that it's not by our strength that we will be saved or healed or endure whatever we're going through, but it's only through the strength of God, it's only through your Holy Spirit working through us that we will have this power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now is a time where we're going to sing a song of response. And I'm going to stand over to the side if, if one of you or some of you want to come and to pray with me. And I want to also invite you to come pray up front here as we sing this song and kneel at the altar. But also I want you to think about a couple of questions that I wrote down. This can be done where you're sitting as you sing the song, but are you, are you trusting today in this secret of contentment? Or are you trusting in something else? Will you place your faith not in yourself, but will you place your faith today in God's promises? If you're doing that, will you take that next step of faith and will you be that compassionate hug that embrace the vessel that God uses to spread His love through this neighborhood? And will you use the words like the church at Philippi? And will you use your resources, what God has given you, to build each other up and to look for ways to bring encouragement and life to those around you? There is every person in your life is in there for a reason. And sometimes the smallest of things can just mean everything. And God wants to use you. That's my question. Is will you allow God to use you for His glory? Let's pray again and then we'll sing. Father, we love you. We praise you. Move in our hearts. God, lead us to not go back to the way we were. Lead us to be changed by your grace and your gospel. Lead us to be your agents of biblical justice here, that we would yearn to see the kingdom of heaven expand right here in our homes, in our community, in our city, in this world. And God, I pray that we would be willing and ready to give ourselves away, to spend our very lives for the sake of others, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing this song and respond.